Well, good morning, Southridge. That was kind of weak. Good morning, Southridge. Hey, all right. Good to see everybody. Glad you're here. This uh, beautiful day in July, right? It's, you know, I'm loving the weather. You guys loving the weather? Uh, you know, I'm not much for real, real hot weather. I just like it, you know, comfortable, you know, and so I'm digging this. Feels good. Feels real good. Hey, I uh, want to celebrate something right off the bat. Uh, we have a team of 14. I always get the number right. Is it 14 or 13? 14. We got 14 people or so in, in El Salvador on a mission trip. Maybe you've been following them on our Facebook page. You can see some of the pictures. I think we have some. Let's throw some of those up. There's the Motley crew right there in front of the bus. Look at that. The one on the right is our guy. The other guy is from there. Tim! Keep going. It was a perfect setup, too. I know it's not gonna it's not gonna work now. Alright, that's good. I'll eat this one. Alright. So uh, great. They're coming back Tuesday. Hopefully you've been praying for them and just God's been doing some cool things and, and I'm looking forward. Next week we'll have some of them up on stage and just share some of the stories that happened. And so isn't that exciting? Come on. Come on. Um, the other thing I want to mention before I pray and we jump into the message is uh, we're, we're still moving forward aggressively after moving into a new location. If you haven't been here for a few weeks, a lot has changed in light of where we're going to be this fall. We're actually going to be moving to 84th and Giles uh, in a 15,000 square foot facility that will be our offices and our Sunday morning services. And we won't have to set up and tear down every week and all that good stuff. And so part of us getting there and getting there hopefully as quickly as possible is raising a lot of dollars to make that happen. So in a few weeks, three weeks to be exact, we're going to receive special offering number two to cover the build out on what we're doing over there. So the first one, uh, roughly $24,000, come on, come in, come on, come on. So if we can do that three times, we'll be pretty close to what we need to make happen. So, you know, let's... Let's be praying and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? You know, what, how would you want me to give towards this to make this happen? I think some, uh, I, I said it last week, and it just kind of keeps reverberating back in me all the time, is that a great church is not built on the, on the abilities or giftedness of a few, but on the sacrifice of the many. And so all of us getting involved to make this happen is going to be a great thing. So I, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's a great opportunity. Um, let's pray, and then we're going to jump in the message. Lord, I thank you for just giving us the opportunity to worship, to listen, to hear your word, to, to maybe be challenged, God, by what you might say to us today. Lord, I, I thank you that, God, you are actively involved in each one of our lives in this room. Lord, you know every person. Lord, you know what we're dealing with. You know what we just dealt with yesterday or what we might even be dealing with today. God, you know exactly where we're at. Lord, I pray today that, God, you would speak to each one of us just like we need to hear. That you would stir something in us, Lord, faith, expectancy, hope. Maybe, maybe just something new today, God, stirs in us, Lord, for your glory, for your purpose. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to try not to touch the table because this was going to be a great illustration for our message series today. Anyway, it still will be because I think there's enough of them up there. At least I think. 
Uh, so here we go. We're, uh, if you haven't been part of Southridge, uh, every year in July we take a, a few weeks and talk about the topic of sex and uh, different uh, ideas and thoughts about that. And, and this year, actually, I knew when we got done with last year's series on sex uh, what we were going to talk about this year because this topic is such a huge topic. And so we're calling it the naked truth, but we're really going to be talking about dealing with shame and trying to get to a place where we're shame-free and in our intimate relationships with God and the people around us, that that would be a part of it. If, and I'm looking around here, I don't think there is in this service, but if you have young ones, this ser- series is rated PG-13, so if you have a small one, this would be the time to maybe take them in there. And by the way, I say this every year, the age where you need to be having the talks is younger and younger and younger because of what we're living and what we're part of. I mean, you don't have to try, it's just there, you know, and so you're better off to have the conversations with your children early than wait until it happened and wish you would have had it, okay? Just, just a little pastoral advice. So here, here's a couple questions. Why should we talk about sex in church? Why should we even have that conversation in, in the first place? And, and typically, the church doesn't deal with the issue of sex very well. We, we tend to kind of have a head-in-the-sand kind of approach when it comes to sex and hope it just works out. And that's a really poor way to do anything in life. Just hope it works out. And, and so uh, you know, I apologize if you grew up and you never had the church, if you were part of a church growing up and they never had a conversation about some of the topics that we talk about. You know, but that's just how it's been, and that's the typical thing. Most people never fully or really fully understand the spiritual connection to our sexuality and our spirituality. Most people don't get that. Most people separate the two, that, that my sexuality and my sexual activity is totally separate from my spiritual person of who I am. And biblically, that is totally inaccurate. In other words, the two things are married together. Matter of fact, when a couple comes together and they get married, it says that it's a spiritual mystery that somehow the two become one. I mean, there's something going on here that is very big, and most of us don't fully understand that. Uh, and so, to understand that, we need to get some thoughts, like uh, God wrote the book on sex, so he created it, he defined it, and, and in light of that, though, our understanding of sex and what we've dealt with, and this, I always, you know, tend to go back to this, most of us were educated in sex or sexual ideas by a fifth grader, <laughs> Right? I mean, think about it. I mean, most of us, our ideas, and maybe you were older, maybe it was a seventh grader, you know, that seventh grade friend or that eighth grade friend, but somewhere in your younger years, you were getting educated by a very unexperienced, unknowledgeable, unclear person, and you picked up ideas and thoughts from that. Some of it comes from the movie world that we live in, and right now reality TV and all those different things, and all of that pours into that, which doesn't necessarily give us a full understanding. Many times it gives us a misperception. And here's another thought why we should talk about sex in churches. Most people never really experience sexual fullness because we're too broken to ever get there. Most of us never get to the point where God planned it to be or wanted it to be, in our sexual fulfillment, and I'm, I'm talking about intimacy, I'm talking about wholeness, I'm talking about responsibility, I'm talking about that sense that this is good and this is what God made me to be a part of. A lot of us never get to that point because we're, we're living out this brokenness more than we are the purity and the plan that God had for us. And so that's a big reason why we need to talk about it. So what's the big deal? Why, why is sex such a big deal? And 
here's usually some of the answers that I get from people when I say, oh, we're going to do a sex series. And they, they kind of, they don't say it, but they kind of say it. Man, that's so old school. I mean, come on, we're in the 21st century here. I mean, that's who, you know, you just go with the flow, you know, kind of do it. And, and so the, that idea that somehow we're overreacting, and it's old school, and this is 21st century, but I think it's a big deal. I think it's a real big deal. And here's how I think it is a big deal. We're experiencing the backlash of sex gone wild in our society. How many would you agree with that? We're experiencing it. We're, we're, we're in the middle of this thing. We're in the middle of this thing that is sex gone wild, and, and, it's, and it's a backlash that's coming against us. This week, just this week, I noticed, I was just paying, I had my ears open and my eyes open to what was going on around me. I noticed, again, that there were, there were ta- talks on TV about sexual uh, perverts that had to register and, and all these different things. Uh, there was interviews with people. There, there was uh, a magazine when I went to my physical therapy this week that was talking about trans, the title of the magazine on time was Transgender US. I'm thinking, wow, we're in the middle of this thing. That's, that's us. That's where we're at right now. And so some of these things are happening, and we're in a backlash of a sex-gone-wild society. Pornography is at an all-time high. The business is booming. And the scary thing about it is most men and a lot of women are involved in it. Like, like crazy percentages, 85 90%. You're thinking, what? How's that? That's very, very scary. Uh, sex trafficking affects hundreds of thousands of lives every day. It's one of those things that every time I mention it, there's something that stirs in me because I, I, I just can't get over the unfairness of what happens to a young life because that's the story that they're living. Jennifer and I were having a conversation with a young girl that's from here that is in the Philippines right now working in an orphanage. And we were talking with her and she was sharing her story about what she's experienced and she said, every kid that comes to that orphanage is there because they've been sexually abused and taken advantage of by their own family. That's why they're there. I'm thinking, what in the world is wrong with our our world here? What's going on? And this is part of it, what we're talking about here today. And so all of that is happening. Sexual identity is a spinning wheel. And, And not only that, it's a big deal because we, us, we are carrying a lot of baggage from sexual out activity outside of God's design and plan. And here's how I know that we're pl- we have that. It's because a lot of us, if we're really, really honest, we have a lot of pain and we have a lot of regret. That's baggage. And that kind of baggage doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just like, okay, I'm going to ignore it and it'll go away. It's a real part of who we are. And it's tied to this idea of our identity and what God wants us to be and who we actually are. And so th- that's a big part of it. So over the next few weeks, I want to explore this part of the fallout of sexuality without the proper design. And, and the big thought for this series, and maybe you want to write this down, I don't know if I have it in a handout or not, is this. The naked truth is dot, 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 sex God's way is shame-free. Sex God's way is shame-free. And that's what I think God wants for all of us, is to be shame-free, to be in that position but the problem is many of us are not shame-free. We're actually shameful, or even worse, we're shameless. Next week, next week we're going to talk about how we get to shameless. It's kind of a weird thing that shameless can be a part of our story, but it is. And so to understand our sexuality and what God intended for it to be, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to where the story started. I mean, if we're going to really understand 
what's supposed to happen. We've got to figure out what God intended from the very beginning to happen. And so from the beginning, God had a plan. God had a plan. I mean, you think about when God has a plan versus my plan, my plans are always kind of so-so. But when God puts together a plan, it's an amazing plan. It, it's one of those plans that it is destined to work, and it's, and it's really good. Actually, it's perfectly good, and it's right, and it's true. And it's all those things. God had a plan from the very beginning about how relationships would happen, how sexuality would happen, and he had a plan. And, and, and so from the beginning, it was that. It, it was a plan of intimacy. You know, a lot of us, we need to understand that God wants us to have intimacy. He is not that, I don't want you to have intimacy, just be robots walking through life and doing your thing. He wants us to have intimacy, passionate intimacy with our spouses and be a part of that. God, he wants us to have intimacy with him and relationship with him and, and, and feel that and know what that is. God planned that. God plans for us to be whole. One of the things I have a conversation, every time I meet with a potential couple that's going to get married, I have the same speech with them. And I talk about this. I say, God intends that there would be two whole people that would come together and become a perfect one. And they kind of look at me like, what are you talking about? Because the wholeness of who I am really results in the ability for us to have a relationship that really has fulfillment and depth to it. That's God's plan. He wants us to have that. And also, he wants us to do all that within the scope of responsibility. And so God's plan has boundaries for our lives. And boundaries, sometimes when you start mentioning boundaries for our lives, a lot of us kind of ruffle our feathers a little bit and get a little, I don't know if I want boundaries, I want to be free, I want to do what I want to do, I want to go where I want to go. And it kind of ruffles us a little bit. And see, God has a plan for fulfillment in our lives, and the boundaries are part of that, not limitation. And see, a lot of times that's where we view God when we come to this sexual concept and this idea that we're talking about. We have this God God idea that he just wants to limit. He just wants to be the fun taker and take away all the joy from life and all those kind of things. It's just the opposite. God wants to put us in a place where we really have fulfillment, not just limitation, but experiencing the intimacy, the wholeness, and all those things that are good. So let's let's jump into some scriptures going back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. In other words, God had a place. He had a plan. He had, he had an idea in mind what, how he wanted it to happen. And it goes on, But the Lord warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you will surely die. And so he said, here's the deal. I, I, I want you to have this intimate. I want you to have this wholeness. I want you to have this fulfillment. But there's limitations. There's boundaries. There's a scope that I want you to live within. Not to limit, but to give you fulfillment. And so God is laying that out. But some of us view God's design in this way as some kind of a prison wall. We think that God just wants to put me in a prison. He doesn't want me to express myself and be who I want to be and All that kind of stuff. And that's not really what he's talking about. And so we think all the good things are outside of God's plan. I've had tons of conversations over the years of people that want to give their whole lives to the Lord, but they're too fearful about the things, quote, quote, they're going to give up to actually do it. I'm thinking, dude, you're not giving it up. You're actually gaining something. You're you're, you're not giving up something what you think is really great. You're actually putting away something that's really bad and grabbing hold of something that's really good. And so we've got to change our mindset in there. And so we think that sexual activity is whenever and however I want it. It's fruit at any time. And, and so here's, here was my illustration, all right? 
the, before I wrecked it. Looking for all the fruit that's still laying around here. So God puts this, this plan together. He puts it all together like this. And, 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 and it's kind of like he has this idea. If I can do this right, I can't. But he has, here we go, we'll do it this way. He has this idea that it, it, it's all about taking the right fruit at the right time. It's all about doing it. You say, hey, you can have a this, but you can't have a that. It's, it's not any fruit any time. It's the right fruit at the right time. And, but see, what we do all the time is this. We come along and we grab, oh. Oh, wait a minute, I want, I want this one. And that's, and that's how we live life. We, we want what we want, when we want it. We want the fruit that we want right now. And in the process, what happens then is there's fallout. There's bruising. And, 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 then, and then we try to spend the rest of our lives trying to run around and trying to figure out how to put it all back where it was. But it doesn't work real well. Because then we go and we pull the same one out again. And it's right back in the same ways. And it's just ongoing, ongoing, ongoing. But God's plan is that we would pick the right fruit at the right time and not be bruised. By the way, if you're going to have these apples afterwards, you're not going to want those two. <laughs> or these two, all right? You're not going to want those. Some guys go, great, I love apples. I said, I don't know if you're going to like them after I'm done because I'm going to beat them up. You know? so, so, you know, all of that, that's, that's God said, hey, I've got some boundaries here. I've got, I've got a plan for you, and, and it's going to be good. People aren't going to get hurt the way I do it, but people will get hurt the way you might want to do it. Matter of fact, he even describes it as death in the plan. So here's our key text for this whole series, Genesis 2.25. It says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. They felt no shame. They, they didn't have this going on. It wasn't part of who they were yet. I mean, they, they had some mistakes coming around the corner. We'll talk about that. See, God created us to live without shame, to be in intimate relationship and innocent without shame. That's how God created us. He still wants that. It isn't like, well, it all fell apart. He doesn't care anymore. He does. He still wants you to live without shame. He wants me to live without shame. And, and so this idea is still real in the heart of God. It's still part of the plan that God had. He never gave up on the same plan to be without shame. And see, in what was going on in this story, they were able to be completely vulnerable with one another without any fear or reservation. Talk about a marriage. To be able to be in that kind of a relationship where there was no fear, there was no reservation, totally intimate, totally committed, totally whole, totally fulfilled, all those things happening because there was no shame in the relationship. That's what God wants. But I believe, and here's, here's where we start getting into what we're going to talk about today, I believe shame is to blame for most of our pain. I believe shame is to blame for most of our pain. And most of us here today, the shame part of who we are, and a lot of it is connected, I think a good portion of it is connected to our sexual activity. And then what happens is we have within ourselves, we're carrying this weight of shame, and it makes us feel unworthy to be loved. It makes me feel like an outsider. It makes me feel bruised. And so I'm bruised in the process. That's, that's where I'm at. I'm in this thing that's, Lord, how did I get here? And because of the shame thing. And so we spend all of our lives trying to deal with it and make it all right and, and, and somehow make sense of it. And so, 
Shame, that's what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Shame always has a beginning moment in our lives. The seed of shame is in all of us at some level or another. Right now, it's in a, all of us. If you're thinking, I don't have any shame, it's, it's in us. It's just who we are. As human beings that are broken before God, it's part of who we are. It has to be dealt with. It's in us. And so it, it's in all of us because we all have this broken nature that leads us to shame. But shame comes alive in us when we cross the lines of God's design. Again, we pick from the wrong place in the pile. We, we get ahead of God. We, we don't listen to the God. We, 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 and we move to a place that doesn't make sense. Check out what happens. So we're going to get to the, t- the next part of the text. Check out what happened to Adam and Eve after they compromised their innocence. Shame came alive. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. It says, at that moment, the very moment they chose to cross the line, at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They were without shame and now they're full of shame. They, they, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, and so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And notice the progression here. Notice what's happening as things are going on here. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And I was thinking about this, this a lot this week, that God is always present even when I'm doing stupid stuff. The God is always there. He's always in the midst of the garden. He's always in the midst of what's going on. He's there, even though maybe sometimes I can't see him. He's right there, right now. He's, and so I think, man, all the things that I've done, and you were there, God. All the things that I've been a part of, you were there. I mean, and, and so really it speaks of this, God's compassion to not give up on me. It speaks that loudly, doesn't it? That God, he, he was there in all the stupid stuff that I've been a part of. All the times I pulled the fruit out in the wrong places. All the times I, I went the other way and I crossed the line, God was still there. I think that's interesting. And it goes on, it says, so God was walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And by the way, I, I want you to know some of the natural things that are happening. This is where camo gear got its start. Right there. <laughs> Can't see me. <laughs> you know, hiding in trees, you know. Anyway. Anyway, I'll just leave that alone. <clears throat> then the Lord God, so they, they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man. So not only is God present there, He's actually reaching out to him. Where are you? I think that's the message for many of us today. Where are you? In this whole story, where are you? Where, where are you today? In, in, the, in the depths of shame and hiding in the trees, where are you? I think God is looking not to condemn, and we'll see that in a little bit, but to restore. He goes on, he says, The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And by the way, this was the first naked and afraid reality show ever made. <laughs> they thought they made it up. It was already there, right? Number, verse 11, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? And here's a funny thing about shame. Nobody has to tell you. <laughs> nobody, has to, nobody has to say, you're shamed. You know it. There's something inside you. It's not outside. It's inside. It's, it's something inside me that begins to scream and burn. Woo, this is shameful. 
Woo, man, I've crossed the line. I've been, and you know it. And see, they knew it immediately. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, and he already knew. He knew what was going on. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Did you take the one that I said, don't do that? I've got a plan. Did you do that? And God knew he did, that they did. Have you eaten from the, the tree that, the, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? And the man replied, <laughs> I love this, it was the woman, Jennifer, you gave me, who gave me the fruit and ate it. <laughs> I like to put names sometimes in Scripture. <laughs> right? I mean, we do that, don't we? I mean, we just automatically, the ones that we love are close to us, you know, and spouses, it's easy. You know, I'd be a great person if it wasn't for her or him or whatever. You know, if that situation. It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? She takes it to a whole nother level. She goes spiritual on God. Serpent deceived me. The devil did it. The serpent deceived me. She replies, that's why I ate it. And see, many of us, we can point back to a moment when shame came alive in us. You can actually, you can, you can point back into, into time, and, and, and if statistics are right, most of us in this room, like 90 plus percent of us, were involved sexually before it was time to pick that fruit. Okay? That, so that means probably the majority of us in this room we're in that category. And we can, we can go back to a time and we, we can see the moment when shame came alive in us. For most of us, it was when we crossed the line sexually. We compromised our innocence and we opened the door to a world of shame. And I thought to myself, I was like, what? when was it for me? When did that happen? I have to go back to sixth grade. Sixth grade, shame came alive. I was still, I was already a sinner, and I was already broken, but shame came alive when I was in sixth grade, and it happened in two things that happened. Number one is I found underneath our front porch, because we had one of these front porches where you crawl through a window, and there was like about a five-foot area where there was a dirt floor, and it was like this huge wraparound porch, but it was the perfect fort for sixth grade boys, right? And we're talking cigarette smoking, you know, all the things that little boys shouldn't be doing, that's what we did. But then at the same time, underneath that porch, we found what we thought at the time was a treasure. And it was a stack of magazines. About that high. And I remember walk, flipping through those magazines as a sixth grader, underneath the porch, in York, Nebraska. And I lost something that day. Shame came up. Now, I didn't know it then because I thought it was a great thing. I thought, man, I've got the apple. I've got the fruit. I, whoo, man, can I, I can't believe this. We have our own fort full of all these magazines. This is the best thing ever. But something came alive in me. And it grew. Because a little bit later that summer, I remember Leslie. Leslie was in seventh grade. I was in sixth grade. Leslie was a woman. Already, I don't know how that happened, but she was already a woman. I invited her over to my palace, our Winnebago camper in the backyard. And we were in the camper, hanging out. How's that? I won't go too much details. We're hanging out, doing things that we shouldn't be doing at sixth grade. My mom comes out. 
true story. She'll, she'd come up. She, she opens up the door, catches us in a moment that wasn't appropriate, and slams the door back shut and walks off. And I remember that moment because I remember that was one of the moments that shame really came alive in me. Not just what I did. There was something in me that was stirring. There was something that was happening inside of me. I didn't know what it was, but it was happening. And see, some of us, we have the similar stories. Where the lines were crossed, where the moments that happened and the shame came alive in us. But here's what I think is the problem for this whole series. We never took care of it. And so maybe 30 years later or 10 years later or 20 years later or two marriages later or whatever, it's still there. It's, it's still part of who we are. It, it hasn't been resolved. There hasn't been anything taken care of. And so that's, that's my story. Maybe you have one that's similar. So let me, let me fill in some blanks for you. What, what does it look like to be full of shame, living full of shame? And, and this is right from our text, real quickly. Shame creates within us an awareness of our nakedness. An awareness of our nakedness. Shame will create within you an awareness that you are without a defense. That's really what that meant, is I, I'm defenseless because of shame. I, I feel exposed. I feel uncovered. And, and here's another thing shame will create about our nakedness. It will create within me a sense of loss, a loss of identity, a loss of being, and a loss of honor. So you wonder what you lost. In the nakedness, it wasn't just, oh no, I'm naked. No, you lost something. In, in, in the midst of that moment, it wasn't just, oh wow, I really blew it there. Man, I really did. No, what happens? You lost something. You lost this connection, this identity that God planned for you in whatever shape or form it was. You lost that. That's what the shame did. It, it created that loss. And also, shame will create a sense of that something is wrong within me. Shame will make you feel unworthy. Shame will isolate you emotionally. And many people, check this out, many people are consumed with more sexual activity in an attempt to not feel exposed. So, so the very thing that creates the problem many times is the very thing that I chase after thinking it's going to fix it. I'm gonna, I, I just need to be loved. I just need to be engaged in these relationships. That's what's going to make me feel fulfilled. But what it does is it just keeps elevating, elevating, elevating that shame thing that already is growing within me. And I'm full of shame. So here's the second one. Shame convinces us to attempt to conceal. I try to cover myself. I I, you know, they cover themselves with fig leaves. I, I try really hard to make it look like everything's okay. Have you ever done something and then wish nobody ever found out about it? Somehow just make it go away. <laughs> make it go away. That's shame at work. See, people try to overcame sh overcome shame in all kinds of ways, and most of us tried to make up our shame in one of two ways, or maybe even both, and here's what they are. We try to deal with it by doing more or denying it more. We try to do more or we're going to deny more. And so when I conceal it, the hiding that I do, I'm going to hide it behind my career. I'm going to hide it behind my, my accomplishments. I'm going to hide it behind my humor. That's what I used to always do. I would crack a joke. Well, I could, I could, man, I'd be 15-year-old, throw a joke. Really, what I was doing is I, I was hiding. 
And, and we try to hide behind the doing or the denying. You know, we're, we're going to be the president of the class. We're going to be the best salesman. We're going to be the best athlete. We're going to do all those kind of things. Or, or in the denial, it's not me. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And we just keep telling ourselves that in real denial that really it isn't. So, interesting thought. The more we try to conceal our shame, the more shameful it becomes. Here's the third one. Shame causes us to pull away from God. I think this is the big one. Shame causes us to pull away from God. I try to hide from God because of my shame. I, I ran into an interesting scripture that tied this thought together. It says in 1 John 2.28, it says, Children, meaning children of God, being those that are connected to him, stay one in your hearts with Christ. In other words, stay really close. Stay in the plan that God has for you. Then when he returns... We will have confidence and won't have to hide in shame. And won't have to hide in shame. And see, I think what happens is this. Many times because of the shame thing that happened and the apples are flying and the bruises are happening and the pain's taking place and all that kind of stuff, a byproduct of that thing is that now if God's close, I'm not. I'm out of here. I can't get close to God. It causes distance in my relationship because there's something about me that says I can't because I'm not worthy. I can't be in that place. And so I pull back from God. I hide in shame. Actually, another text version says I shrink back. I shrink back in shame. I can't get to the place that God wants me to be because that's happening in me. See, shame will make you uncomfortable in the presence of God, unable to come to God with confidence. Because one of the benefits of being in relationship with God is we can come to God with confidence because shame removes, removes the confidence. In other words, we don't have confidence when it happens. And by the way, let me just share real quickly what, what happens as a pastor that I see all the time. I see somebody come alive in Christ. I see, I see man, young ladies, man, she's excited about God, all this stuff. And all of a sudden, here comes Don Juan. You know, you've seen him before, right? Hey, baby. You know? And she... she gets swooned by him. And next thing you know, she crosses the line in this relationship. And all of a sudden, the idea of her pursuing her spiritual journey doesn't seem as appealing. Why doesn't it seem as appealing? Because shame has stolen her confidence to come before God. And I've seen it again and again and again, where somebody gets in a relationship, they get involved with somebody relationally, and they were going somewhere with God. God, and then they were, they were moving, they were, they were happening, they were developing, they were becoming what God wanted them to be. But all of a sudden, they crossed that line, and they found themselves in a place of shame, and now they have no confidence, and they pull back. And so that's what happens all the time. So, so we understand shame causes us to pull away. And the last one is this, is that finger-pointing is the game of shame. Finger-pointing is the game of shame. I blame everyone else for my own behavior. And you will try to make everybody else the problem. You will try to divert attention from your own sin to someone else's. You will make excuses for everything. You will even blame God for what's happening in your life. The woman you gave me. Somehow that happens. I was born this way. This is how I was raised. And, and we just throw out the list of excuses and reasons why we can blame everybody else and take no responsibility for our actions at all. That's what shame does. So I want to close. I want to close with the story that Jesus shared in, in John chapter 8. 
about how to find restoration, if you will, from being full of shame, how to find relief from the weight of shame. So here's how the story goes. John 8, chapter 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. He was always trying to share the plan of God. The crowd soon gathered, and he sat down, and he taught them. He was engaged with them. He wasn't just trying to get through it and get by. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Doesn't tell us how, but somehow she was actually caught in this, crossing the line. She was there. She was full of shame. And they put her in front of the crowd. And and so you got this picture. It'd be like somebody dragging a woman in here, setting her down and said, Pastor, this woman was caught in adultery. What are you going to do about it? Shameful. Full of shame. All these things happening right there. And it says then, he says, she was caught in adultery. The law of Moses says, stone her. What do you say? And they were trying to trap him. By the way, trying to trap Jesus is never a good idea, right? I mean, I heard this the other day. It said, if you try to do a knock-knock joke on God, you know, knock-knock, Jesus, you know, they go to knock-knock to Jesus, and instead he doesn't say, who's there? He says, I know, I am. Think about it for a while. Just write it down. You'll get it. I mean, it's a pretty deep joke. I know. And so it goes on. It says, they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. A lot of people speculate what he wrote. You know, the, the names of the guys standing there, the sins that they'd committed, all that stuff. Don't really know. Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. And he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and rode in the dust. When the accusers heard, heard this, they, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Just Jesus and the one that's shameful. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? This is God speaking. To this woman that's full of shame. Where's the ones that accuse you? I'm the one that made you. Where are the ones that are accusing you? What's going on here? Didn't even, didn't even one of them condemn you? They didn't. No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Neither do I go and sin no more. Powerful phrase, neither do I go and sin no more. Relief from the shame. Here's a few things, just wrap it up. Number one is this, understand this, we are all unworthy. If you somehow think that you're in that situation where you are the exception and nobody is quite like you, we're all in the same story. Shame is common to all, freedom is not. Shame would like you to think that you are the only one, the only screw-up, the only bad apple in the whole tree, that's you, and that's not true. It's common to all. And God specializes in working with lo- losers. Matter of fact, that's all he works with. Because we're all losers in that way. We're all in that category of broken. Here's a second thought. Even though I have been caught, I can be healed. Even though I've crossed the line, I can be healed. I can be restored. God can restore me. Shame tries to spotlight my sin, but Jesus moves in to free me from my sin. Thank you, Jesus. Third thing is 
is to accept responsibility for my actions. Denial leads nowhere. He says, sin no more. He wasn't glossing over it. He was saying, sin no more. And the last one is this. Embrace the reality my shame needs to be covered. I learned a little thing about shame, and, here, and I just want to close with this thought. Shame actually means to be covered with shame. That's what it means. I'm covered with shame. You ever heard somebody say that she's got shame all over her face? It's covered, right? But the answer is ironically connected to the same idea. But the answer is, is for our shame to be covered. So I'm covered in shame, and the answer is I need to be covered. I'm covered in shame, and I need to be covered. And herein lies the great problem. We can't cover our own shame. We can't cover our own shame. We can easily cover ourselves with shame, but we're unable to cover our own shame. And so here Jesus steps into our story. He steps into our story. And he offers you and I something just like he offered her that she could never give herself, and that was this, a covering of forgiveness. I forgive you. I don't condemn you. I forgive you. I almost wonder if she wasn't laying there on the ground in tears, crying in that moment under the weight of shame and all the things that she was naked. She, was, she couldn't hide anymore. It was all out in the open. She couldn't do that. And Jesus, she probably thought, would say, you are worthless. But instead, he says, I don't condemn you. I forgive you. I cover you. I cover you. He doesn't accuse. He covers. Jesus does not come to condemn, but to free us from the shame of our guilt. And the only thing I can do in that moment is the only thing that she could do in that moment. Accept it. That's the only thing she could do. That was the only thing that she had to do was simply accept it. Go no more. Sin no more. Go do that. From this moment forward, you have the responsibility that you had before. But right now, the only thing that you can do is accept the forgiveness to cover your shame. You can't conceal it. You can't hide it. You can't blame somebody else for it. You can't do any of those things. Only accept the covering of this forgiveness. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, I thank you today for the word that you share with us, Lord, the, the stories of brokenness, God, that allow us to understand your interaction with broken people just like us. And Lord, I think today in this room, there might be a few of us that, Lord, are still covered with shame because maybe something that was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or just last week. And we're all out in the open. It's just you and I, Jesus. It's just you and I. And I need to be covered with forgiveness. I need to be covered with something I can't do myself. I can't forgive myself. I have to allow you to forgive me. That's where the fulfillment, that's where the healing comes from. And then go sin no more. How many of you would just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. God's speaking to me today. I've, I've been covered with shame, and I think God wants to heal me right now. Just wave your hand at me, would you? Just wave it, yeah. God's here. Lord, every hand that was raised right now, I pray in the name of Jesus for the covering of your forgiveness. The Lord, when you died on a cross, it, it was to cover us with, with blood that's able to forgive, Lord, not in some kind of sick way, but, Lord, in a way that's perfect and healing. 
so Lord we accept it today that's all we can do we accept it as the word says go and sin no more so Lord do a work in our hearts do a work in our lives today we ask in Jesus name Amen